Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, Proof HQ. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Content Pros. Randy, I am so excited to be joined by Nick Cicero today. Thanks a lot, Chris. Nick, it's, it's great to have you on the show. If uh, anyone doesn't know who Nick is, uh, you got to check out his background. If I, if I went into all Nick has accomplished in this intro, we would uh, fill the 30 minutes. But uh, you know, needless to say, Nick's been really influential playing with really big brands out there from you know, the Sony and PlayStations of the world through the Sports Illustrated, Univision. And you know, more so, what we'll focus today is how he's starting to use some of his experiences with content content and social uh, to launch companies like Del Mondo, as well as his participation in Brave Ventures. So Nick, why don't you start us off? I think we talked ahead about kind of digging into this idea of user-generated content today, and maybe you can intro yourself and, and where that's become a passion for you. Yeah, sure. So thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, I spent some time on the Social Pros podcast as a co-host last year, so it's nice to be on any one of the, the Convince family of podcasts. I know you guys have been working your, your butt off launching the Content Pros, so congrats on that. Um, so my name is Nick Cicero, and I am the CEO and founder of Del Mondo. And Del Mondo is an end-to-end -end platform for creators to measure and monetize and produce content with brands and media companies and ad agencies, and we help those same agencies, brands, and media companies find and discover awesome creators to produce content all year round, whether it's campaigns or whether it's as a supporting role. Uh, I've worked with companies, as you said before, I've worked with some of the more popular content marketing software platforms out there, so, you know, some of the ones you might have heard of, so the Percolates, or the Expions of the world. I've also worked at some of the social curation and you know UGC software companies like LiveFire. So I've definitely seen from the tech side uh, a lot of the, this content revolution, but also from the creative side, both as uh, you know working as an agency creative and then also as a professional music producer myself. So I've kind of touched on all aspects of what I think it really means to be a modern day content producer. Uh, at a high level and at an effective level. And so kind of combining all the things into one to kind of build this, this technology platform and talent roster at Del Mondo. Awesome, Nick. So let's dive right in. I know that you do some cool stuff with Instagram, Snapchat, Vine, tons of video formats and lots of other things, but let's talk about finding the right influencers. I think everyone says they want to do things with influencers. They reach out to them to do content, but most don't actually run a business that is dependent on influencers and their content production. So how do you actually find the right people and match them with brands? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that we look to a lot of different factors, but the first question that we're always looking to go after is, what's the type of audience that you're trying to reach? So is there a person in mind? I mean, we all know there's demographic numbers that, that get you into the ballpark, but really beyond that, we look at more psychographic. Like, what are these types of people talking about? Who do you want to reach? Like, if you're somebody... You know, like a Priceline.com, who we just recently worked with, you know, they're trying to focus really on early adapter 
early adopter, Facebook-heavy consumers. And for something like that, we looked at creators who were much more popular, let's just say, on Facebook video, and we looked at their audience analytics as well. So we're doing you know, deep affinity, trying to match up a brand's audience uh, and look at their followers along with the followers of potential creators that we're looking at as well to try to find who actually maybe has the most percentage or the highest percentage of mutual fans as well. So I think there's a lot of different elements that you can look at, but the first step right away is trying to understand the audience, right, and trying to dig into that. Uh, I think it's really difficult for brands to do that as well because it asks you, it forces you to take a deeper look at your own audience and audiences that you're trying to go after as well. And I think that that's something that people struggle with right away is really, you know, I think that, that people can anybody, you know, can pick it up, start writing a blog post or start shooting a video. You can start making things. But that doesn't always necessarily mean that what you're going to make is going to be perceived as valuable. So one of the big questions that we're asking a lot of our clients when they come in and they start working with us is what should people take away from this? You know, when we're producing content or when we're doing this type of campaign or if we're doing a longer term engagement, you know, what, are, what should people walk away when they watch this video or when they interact with this influencer or when they watch this Snapchat account? And try to put yourself in the mind of the consumer as well. So. That's, it. That's interesting, Nick. Maybe you can talk to us, you know, We've, we've probably historically thought about influencers as those who are cr close to our company. I mean, it gets confused, I think, a lot with the idea of advocacy. You know, with your advocates, in theory, they're, they're going to know the messaging and, and everything around that. How do, you, how do you engage an influencer, but also allow it to be genuine without over-spoon-feeding them what you want them to, to put out there for you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I want to, like, back that up first off by saying, you know, when I read a lot of other of, of other articles about how do I activate influencers or how do I get influencers to talk about my company, you know, sometimes I I think that a lot of people think that they're just going to organically like create a really great piece of content that's so awesome that you know an influencer would want to share it, and or that they you know somebody who is very influential in the community would respond to that. And I think that that's one part, right? And that's your audience development, and hopefully you have good engagement. And then there's a whole another angle of approaching and discovering and finding and contacting somebody to work with. Um, we focus, and, and there may be you know, other companies that focus on a little bit different type. You know, we do focus on the higher end of a creator. And so these are people who you know, are building personalities, they're building personas, they're building their own brand online, uh, and they're looking to you know, work with brands together uh, because they're selling something as well. They're selling their content. So I think that um, I think that being able to look at you know and let's say how do I engage with these influencers? Well, I think that is confused with that. That is where it gets confused with the advocacy model in my eyes. You know when we talk about our you know creator content or created with content is the the brave ventures definition that we like to go with. It's this idea of co-creation with brands and so. So like, uh, while a brand might have an objective that might be to get this particular app downloaded or we're going after this big push that ties in with this larger television campaign, you know, a brand might have those objectives, but then they work with us and directly with the creator for them to actually come up with the idea themselves. Really, nobody in our roster, and we have 1,500 top-tier hand-curated creators right now that we've been working for seven months in recruiting, you know, none of them want to really just do paper post stuff. They'll do that as part of a larger campaign, 
but they need to be they need to be incentivized in in many other ways and and it's not just money and it's not just great brand recognition it's also being a part of something more like people just don't want to post one random you know coke video just because coke happens to be paying them 500 bucks or $5000 to post up a video on their channel you know they would much rather take half of that money and actually get to make their own video around coke or with coke and then have that count. So I think that what we want to do when we go out and, and what we love to see more brands trying to do is if you're trying to engage influencers, make co-creation instead of, hey, we made this, can you share this or distribute this piece of content to our audience? So let's jump into that a little bit and talk more on the creation side. So I, I guess my first question, it's a quick one. Have you signed any pugs yet? Because I have a pug puppy. He has his own Instagram account now. So that's the first question, which is a quick I, one, I'm sure. I actually have it. I'm going to stop you right there. Yes. So <laughs> we just got an inbound from Doug the Pug. Have you heard uh, of Doug the Pug? Oh, yeah. I know Doug the Pug. Yeah. Okay. So Doug the Pug just signed up for Del Mondo last week. I'm supposed to talk with them this week. So uh, nice. stay tuned for that. Last week, there was, um, you know, Part of being a very small bootstrap team is I had to build the whole website myself. And there was an error with one of my contact forms that I realized, and I found about 250 unread messages in a weird random some folders that got delivered somewhere. But I had like three cats, two dogs, and some other like snake or something crazy reptile or something from different accounts from animal people. So next week might be uh, Pets Week for Del Mondo. All right, well, just keep it in mind. I have the uh, the pug-cute-kid combination, so it's actually puggy and branch. So it's about the dog and the kid, so that's how I differentiate because Doug the Pug kind of owns the world. But anyway, on the content creation side, do you have any great examples of that co-creation? Because I know that I've seen it, and most of the time I feel like it's a little more subtle when it's the great co-created piece. Like I know Dude Perfect. They do the amazing YouTube videos of trick shots and all kinds of things. They have one where they're doing all the tricks into Pringles cans. And, you know, you can tell that there are brands involved, but it's something that is true to heart of what their channel stands for and what they stand for. So could you share an example of how that should look? Yeah, definitely. So I think that a good way to talk about that, I can talk about some of the Snapchat stuff, and then I'll follow up with the price line. So there's definitely, like, low, medium, and high levels of content involvement when you're working, you know, on this co-creation aspect. Things like low are, you know, low and medium are things like Snapchat to me. So we have a lot of great creators. They're publishing stories. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. They're being consumed on one channel. Very, very focused consumption of that content. Um, and we're going after that, and, and they're looking at a brand to say, like, hey, we're trying to maybe promote this movie or promote this trailer or promote something that's in the very near immediate term. And we want to we want to have some type of, of fun little event that ties into something else. So for JBL, you know, we worked with them around the NBA All-Star game, where basically they said, hey, we want to bring people in and show them all of these cool events that we're doing. And granted, they were more PR events, you know, bringing all the ballers, bringing all the big music celebrities and everything to those events. But then they're like, we actually wanna, you know, we wanna bring and share that story to a different audience while it's happening. So that's why they turned to us to, to go to Snapchat. Because while we showcased the event that was happening, we also like told funny stories. For example, like the Soundhouse uh, at 
Harmon Carden store here in Manhattan, they actually have a sound booth where you can walk in and it's completely soundproof where you can listen to all of any headphone manufacturer, any speaker as like a shootout right there in a the line. And so while we were at this, you know, raucous party, we were shooting vine or we were shooting snaps of going into the soundproof room and playing with the, the noise level so you could actually like hear that transition. So while this like crazy party is happening in the background, we're actually talking about the headphones and the speakers and the products and the and in the brand themselves, right? I mean, it's representing audio, it's representing better quality of audio. And we're highlighting all of those brand characteristics in and among an event. So that's like the lowest of the low, where it's like, hey, you know, and he had JBL headphones on the whole weekend, even when we weren't just at the house. So, you know, very subtle product placement, um, but, you know, very open and honest from the get-go. You know, JBL sent them to the NBA All-Star game, and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of on the low end. Uh, and then there are also a lot of brands that will ask you know, for distribution of some of that content. And it's okay, but I'm just not a fan. The better, the better type of stuff is the stuff that we get to work on where, where we get to come up with new ideas and, and create new pieces of content uh, around a theme or an idea. So with somebody like 20th Century Fox, we worked on the Hitman Agent 47 movie, which I think is in theaters this week or next week, very soon. Um, and we worked with the, the Hitman Agent 47 movie where each one of these creators, and we brought 10 YouTube creators in, they all like got, got the exclusive sneak peek of the Hitman trailer before it launched. And it got us thinking, like, if the Hitman was out there, this idea of the movie of the Hitman is you know, just a contract assassin, just a hard, you know, whatever, just goes around and kills people and stops people. If somebody was trying to stop people on the internet from releasing something that everybody wanted, how would that be done? And so we came up with this idea where the hitman would kind of enter in to the different YouTubers' videos and basically stop them from actually releasing the trailer the day before the trailer was set to make its big press launch. So we created 10 original videos that lived on each YouTuber's account, and inside, halfway through, the hitman came in and actually killed them. Like, in one video, he hits the kid with a sledgehammer. And in another video, you know, he shoots them. And another one, he does the wire, chokes them with the wire, that, you know, the signature Hitman move. And for those videos, you know, we brought a special effects team actually to these creators to the sets where they wanted to shoot, whether it was their apartment, whether it was in the park. We went to all these places and they, they filmed it there. So, you know, even though it was a very, you know, make one or two posts and then the trailer was coming the next day, it was a really high involvement project where we, we got the creators involved. We had both sides involved creating a story. Each unique influencer told that same story in their own way that was right for their audience. Um, got to get hooked up, got to play around with the special effects team. So that was really awesome as well. And that was a really great example of how that those pieces look when you just get to put them out there in the wild. And once again, even though it's, it's very much branded and it's, you, know, you would not not know that the Hitman was involved, it feels like a good piece of content. We got a ton of great response on that. Priceline is probably the third example and the best example so far that we've had of that. And that was much more original from the get-go. You know, Priceline reached out to us and said, hey, we're looking to, to do something a little bit different. We're looking to, you know, we haven't done a lot of info before. We want to do a lot more of it. Um, do you have any recommendations? They gave they kind of gave me a, a theme of what their summer campaign was gonna to go gonna go around, and we came back with some great recommendations. And we picked this family, the EB family, because they were 
killing it on Facebook video. You know, they're the sixth most viewed page on Facebook video. Pretty much the only people beating them are all the BuzzFeed channels. Um, we had somebody that was a family-oriented, but they were tech-savvy, early adopter type audience. And we had this opportunity where they were already on a road trip, so it felt and it fit very natural. So for that, the you know these creators, this family, they just came up with these really simple ideas of why they would use a Priceline app themselves. And you know, one was, hey, if I forgot my anniversary, I would totally use this. Or hey, if I'm a mom and I was trying to book a night away from my you know crazy family and I just wanted to get away for a night for myself, I would totally use this. And so they took, you know, we came up with ideas of why they would use it personally and would they ever, and then they came up with their own situations around that and they did extremely well. I mean, they were up to like four million organic views on two videos in like two weeks. Um, so I think that those, the Priceline and the, the Priceline and the Hitman ones are great examples of the content that we want to go towards a lot more, which is looking at, looking at a campaign um, from a multiple engagement level, so multiple videos, multiple creators, really generating like a network effect that happens. And I think that that's something that we try to go after and not just have it be like one person, one video. Dude Perfect, like you mentioned before, Dude Perfect works because they are, you know, ridiculously huge, but they have a diverse network of fans now. Like there's a cottage industry that Dude Perfect has created upon people trying to recreate their shots and things like that. So, you know, they have a separate you know, invisible hand effect, I think, in, in their audience, which is the same type of thing that we achieve with the talent on our roster. Nick, those are those are awesome examples. I think uh, anyone who who is struggling to understand where they can get involved now now has a great vision. You know, as you're talking a lot about you know, figuring out what content to create. I think it's a good opportunity to also mention one of our sponsors at Content Pros, and that's Inbound Writer. On the blog side of things and article side of things, when you're trying to figure out what content's going to work, which one's going to resonate, that's where Inbound Writer comes in. This is a content analysis tool that forecasts how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics work, which ones don't, and really removes that guesswork from the content creation process. They're offering a free trial of their platform. If you go to inboundwriter.com slash content pros offer, I think you'll, you'll be able to, to give it a try. So, you know, as you're going through some of the examples, Nick, you know, one of the things that, that I caught on to there, you know, you, you gave some great examples of YouTube and, and other channels where I think a lot of us understand what we can do on those channels, but you also threw in there this idea of, of snapping uh, some snaps, um, you know, which obviously is alluding to Snapchat. And I think, you know, a lot of people have already bought into, to, you know, newer platforms, relatively newer platforms like Instagram, but maybe you can help us understand, you know, for, for those newer to Snapchat, you know, where does a brand get involved with Snapchat um, as, a, as a relatively new platform for some of us? Yeah, definitely, and I'm a big fan of Snapchat, um, and, and I'll get into that quickly, and, and my big thing about Snapchat is, you know, I followed it probably a year before I started using it because you know, I was writing for Social Brush and uh, a friend of ours covered, you know, had, was working for 16 Handles when they did the first ever brand campaign, which I, you know, I, we I inadvertently covered, which who knew, who knew that, that was, it was going to take off how it's taken off now. Um, but I really love Snapchat because, you know, I, to be perfectly honest, like I get really burned out and, 
and having to sit in the distribution layer of the world, right? I really love making technology and I really love writing blog posts and making videos and sitting on like the consumption and the commerce layer but this distribution layer in the middle can get really, it can wear you out, right? It can be tough to keep up with everybody on every channel and tweet and Facebook and do and set up these elaborate systems. And, you know, I was in a point in my career where I was feeling a little bit burnt out. And, you know, I had discovered Snapchat and I was really excited because I was playing around with it. And I think that, you know, it got me back to, to, to remembering and not and putting my business self aside for a second because you know I started as a music producer you know when I was 17 I started my own audio production company making music for you know television commercials and and hip hop artists and jingles and all this other stuff and that's how I got into Twitter and by way of that all social media and the whole world there when it wasn't you know when it wasn't really a business thing I was never into marketing that was never what I was into I was into like making cool shit on the internet so you know when more and more new platforms come out, it sometimes can get get hard to get up for them, right? And stay up and, and get excited and and see the value because you know we've have had a good ten years where there hasn't been too much change in the top top tier, right? And and so to see like a new platform come in and and while everybody wants to be quick to jump on it, I feel like I can see some of these things and you you hold off a little bit. But Snapchat, I just I don't know when I got into it when I started playing around with it myself. When they introduced the stories feature outside of the you know the one to one snapping, for me I got, I don't know just like I totally forgot about all that other stuff and all I started focusing on was like making fun snaps, getting back to like my true friends that I really liked you know people from my contact book, people that I cared about you know new friends that I've made from from intros with people uh, and it really just got me back to not you know basically publishing what I which, what I wanted like. Goofy things, goofy videos about me. Like, granted, I know that people love to read the blog posts that I write, or or the podcasts that I create, or or the you know the marketing professional type stuff that now I've built from that from this reputation and persona. But like, I'm just a goofy kid, and I really like to to be to just to be out there and sharing stuff and playing around and and having that, and also not having to feel like you know feel guilty or being judged or, or being guessed all that. So Snapchat for me was just like a whole, it was just like a, a, a refreshing way to find a new group of people, a new type of, of creation way. And also just, I was loving stitching all of these stories together and I was really into that. And, and that's kind of where I met this whole community of influential Snapchat creators. You know, it happened to be the same time that I was starting Del Mondo. And, you know, Del Mondo was not created with Snapchat in mind. Snapchat or about two weeks in, starting Del Mondo, and me just playing around with Snapchat. And from there, I just really went all in on it. And you know, we started to create some of the first analytics you know, discussions, and and then you know, type of analytics plans and reporting strategies, and some early tech around that. Um, and then just kind of, it's kind of grown from there. So, just my view on Snapchat is, it's just a great way to. Um, tell awesome stories and keep in touch with a small group of friends. You know, I'm not concerned about building a ginormous audience on Snapchat, but I am concerned that the people you know who I'm connected with, I hope that they see the stuff that I'm putting out there, whether I send it to them directly or whether I put it out on a story. I hope that I that they see that. So I keep a pretty small circle on there, um, and I, I like to to hope that people do the same. So. You know, you really do get that relationship through there. So that's my view on Snapchat from the background. 
Um, on top of all that, I've, call, I've said it before, and, and I have a, a nice article out there now called Snapchat is a Burrito. Uh, I really think that Snapchat is a perfect example uh, of, of where businesses should be moving in terms of not just like mobile video, because I think that they've found great success on the, the aesthetics of mobile video, but really uh, of growing and, uh, and building an audience today. And I think that the reason that you that I call Snapchat a burrito is not just because it's it's a great vehicle for mobile video, is that it's also a great vehicle for user acquisition. When you think about it, Snapchat has been around for somewhat like three years now. They've built everybody from the mobile up, whereas Facebook has taken them probably four years and, and still arguably like to convert over the same type of percentage of their, their complete user base to mobile versus Snapchat holistically mobile, I think is something interesting. And the fact that um, we are tied into our devices and, and when it gets down to, to, the, to it at the end of the day, like the only way that if you can, re, you know, that you can really beat Apple on their own d domain or beat Samsung or beat anybody who is the device provider is to, like have an unbelievably sticky app that people have to use, like email or text messaging or you know, Instagram for some people. So I think Snapchat is a, is a perfect example of how do we build a really huge base of audience and test a lot of stuff inside of this app put a lot of different types of things in there and figure out who is going to consume what. And I think that you see Snapchat kind of growing up the same way that Facebook grew up and grew, you know, went from young to old as opposed to like Twitter who went from kind of like old to now growing younger and have to figure out like how do we get a younger audience. So the Snapchat audience, they're there. They're ready to consume things. They're interested in mobile first content. There are people who are interested in messaging. The people who are also interested in an on-the-go lifestyle. So there's a type of person who is a Snapchatter. It's not just it's not just different than the other types of apps because of its nature, because of its full value of attention, because the videos do take up your full screen and the vertical video. There's so many different facets of it that really do make it um, a far more attention um, demanding experience, I think, than a lot of these other apps. As I said before, content is not passively loaded. It's, you know, you have to, it's intent driven, right? You have to, you know, even, even when they remove this new thing that says you have to like hold your finger down, you still have to click on a person's story to load it. Content still doesn't load right away. Like I have to click on that story and it still takes one second for it to fire up. It's not instantaneous. So there's a, a clear you know, anytime that you know, when you get a unique view on one of your Snapchat stories, uh, which you can actually look inside the app by going there and, and, and clicking on your story and clicking on the little three dots next to your story. I wish this is a podcast, so I can't really like do a tutorial. But like when you see that one unique view, they see your name in a list. They say, oh, look at like right here. I'm looking at Josh Carp from Spotify. Chris, you know Josh, I think. He's one of the Social Fresh fam as well. Yep, yep. Um, so I'm right here. I'm in the Stories app. I'm looking at. I'm I'm seeing Josh from Spotify, and I'm like, oh man, okay. I I want to see what John post or what Josh posted. So now I'm like clicking inside of here, and I'm I'm watching all of his stories. I'm seeing all of his stories. They're full screen. There's some photos. There's some videos. There's this kid. Um, I'm watching all of this stuff right here, and I had to, to choose this. I had to put my finger down and say, yeah, I want to do this. I don't have to do that when I'm on Facebook or Twitter, even Instagram, right? I have to take that first step to follow somebody, but then after that, like, I'm served up the content whether I wanted to, to see it or not, right? And I think that that's, 
what I like most about Snapchat is, is like people who are only only seeing my stuff if they really want to see my stuff. And hopefully when they see it, then they'll be interested in it. So I think that that's a super interesting component of Snapchat for businesses um, as opposed to others. I don't know if it's the same channel and it's the same way to think about it and the same that you think about it as a Twitter or Facebook today. It could be. I think it's too early to, to make that sweeping decision right now. But I think it's a great way to, um, I think it's a great way to get started, and it's also a great way to think about younger audiences and more mobile-first audiences. There are a number of ways that you guys can like advertise on Snapchat if you are a brand. So I have this article that you guys can check out on the Del Mondo site about how to reach mass audiences on Snapchat. But in that article, we talk about some of the ways, and really it comes down to this. It's either you can staff your own channel, which you know if you do, you have to be really, really good because you know Snapchat... The Snapchat audience is a great bullshit detector, and you got to make sure that you know you're not a waste there. You have to to be informative, and you have to have great content. Um, and you can so you can open up your own account. Um, you could work with Snapchat directly in a couple of different ways. So you can you know get an R story, which is you know an event based approach where they're like, hey, you you know we'll cover all of your really big events. So, you know, Target has done some really fun stuff and Red Bull has done some stuff. And they're like, all of the content is basically about your about your story, about your event that's happening here and that's hand curated by their team. Or you can do a branded geofilter. So that's like a story, you know, uh, uh, one of the geofilters on Snapchat, which is, you know, the cool, fun, branded assets that they provide for people to, to make different things and to change up their snaps and personalize their snaps in different ways. So like the Terminator did a really cool one. Mission Impossible has done one. Um, Jordan, so Jordan Brand, one of my favorites by far. Jordan Brand did a, a, a Snapchat filter, a branded Snapchat geo filter with Marvin the Martian for the new release of, I think it was like Blake Griffin's Space Jam Jordan shoes. If you're like a sneakerhead, you know that the Space Jams are like one of the the sneaker model, like sneaker colorway type thing. It's like its own line of shoe. Um, but obviously, like, that combined with Space Jam 2 made it a perfect opportunity to, like, have Jordan jump into Snapchat and say, okay, cool, we're going to activate a campaign here that ties in all those components. Um, so you can do branded geofilters. Then you could also do just, like, straight-up discover advertising, which is working with the publishers on the Discover channel to basically put your content in their streams as well. So those are the different ways that you can kind of work with Snapchat. Obviously, you have to pay them a lot more. Most of those campaigns, all of those campaigns are at least six figures, and most of them are a lot higher. So, you know, you're looking at really, really big brands with big budgets generally, you know, at least for right now, I think, until Snapchat decides to open up a more open monetization play. Um, but then the last piece, and the piece that we obviously recommend, is working with influencers. So we have tons of brands every week that are reaching out to us and figuring out, you know, how can we do one or two day takeovers, whether it's uh, on our account or whether it's, you know, our content or our creators or our, our products on the influencers' account to make it a part of this. Uh, and that's really great, right? Because Snapchat's only here for 24 hours, so that content is gone off of the platform when it's there, but there's still stuff that you can do with it, right? You can take that, those videos and put them on YouTube and put them on Instagram or Vine or Twitter. And you can chop up that content in different ways when you're done with it. So, you know, for a brand that may not want to 
jump right into manning or staffing a channel uh, like Snapchat or having somebody that you know has to sit there and take the time to understand the audience and think about it, you know, they can work with influencers who are already native to the platform to to really really save them a lot of operational cost and get a significantly better outcome. Awesome. Tons of information there. Thanks for that, Nick. And we have another amazing sponsor that helps make this show happen, and I believe they also love burritos, and that is Proof HQ. So we all know that one of the trickiest parts of content creation is approvals and edits. Different people have to weigh in. You have to make the logo bigger. Is this the best photo we have? All of that feedback. We can kill that drama using Proof HQ. It's a slick web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions. You can work together on blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, and more. You'll be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. You can check it out at bit.ly slash Proof HQ. So Nick, now we're in the speed round. You have 30 seconds or less. We have two more questions. The first one is, what one trend are you seeing in your work with Brave Ventures, which I know is with Gary Vaynerchuk and tons of other smart people, but what's the big trend we need to be paying attention to? Yeah, shout out to, to Jesse Raddus and David Beck as well from, from Brave Ventures. But the one thing that you need to be paying attention to is the, the growth of the content layer and the evolution of television. And so television is really, in a year from now, TV is just going to become another app. And so, you know, a brave idea and a Delmondo idea, we believe in the power of portable audiences. And so when television becomes another app, every one of these major media companies is going to be scrambling to figure out, you know, what is our, we need a better audience development strategy and, and social strategy on that distribution layer like we talked about before is going to be even more important to driving commerce and consumption. It's a great, great trend for us to all watch for. Really excited to see uh, everything for coming from Apple and other players for to make that TV of ours an app. Um, you know, Nick, one last question. We always like to to end with a little bit of fun, and you alluded to what you wanted to do as a teenager, but maybe you can take us even back further as to what you wanted to be when you grew up. Um, you know, obviously, you've done a great job these days meshing you know, social and content together as, as you know, all of us see them being one. But you know, where, where did your ambitions start? Yeah, you know, I always wanted to be you know, a professional jazz musician or a professional music producer, composer. It's, it's, you know, music has been a huge part of my life. And I started playing the trumpet when I was seven years old and was doing a lot of stuff before then and pretty much lived my entire life around the, the music scene and becoming a, a musician. And that's what I always wanted to do. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to do a little bit of it today, uh, but it definitely has taken me to discovering to the next level. And now I get to work with a lot of great musicians all day, every day. And while I don't get to sit in the studio like I may like to and just bang out beats or play my trumpet or, or go play as many gigs as I want to, this has led me to a lifestyle of creativity, which I'm a big fan of. Um, I also once wanted to be a pro hockey player, and my fifth grade teacher told me that that was a stupid idea. And I don't know why, like, she was so mean. It was just, I didn't, you know, most kids would have their confidence dashed, but I went home and I told my mom about it, and she was really mad, but then we laughed about it because we're like, just come on, what's her deal? You know, who's just that mean that they would tell a fifth grader that they can't be a hockey player? Uh, but, you know. It is what it is. I, as, a, as you know, as, as I'm a Canadian up here, we would have embraced that with open arms. <laughs> I'm glad. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm from Syracuse, so we're not that far. We're kind of like brothers from Why don't you just father. sign a hockey player? <laughs> we could. We could sign just a sign a hockey player. player. You can send her a nice note. 
We do have some sports stars on Del Mondo. We just added um, Ronaldinho and Wanderlei Silva. So I don't know if any of you guys are some soccer fans, but Ronaldinho, Brazilian soccer star, and Wanderlei Silva is uh, a UFC champion, I believe. So um, we're definitely doing some more athletes there. So we have to go back to, to McNamara Elementary and show everybody what's up. Yeah, you definitely need to. And I want to see that on Snapchat and Instagram. I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today, Nick. We learned a ton. It's awesome what you guys are doing at Del Mondo. Look forward to learning more and keep seeing you guys grow in the future. On behalf of Randy Frisch from Uberflip, I am Chris Moody. We are the Content Pros. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe at contentprospodcast.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, anywhere you can get a podcast. You can find us there. Please leave us a review if you like the show. If you don't like the show, you can also leave a review. I'll just frown, but that's okay. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, Proof HQ, and Inbound Rider, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by...